I'm Jasmine Moradi, and you're listening to the Power of Audio, Science, and AI. This episode is binaural recorded, so make sure to put your headphones on to experience the full 3D audio effect. My guest today is my new friend, Matthias Johansson, Chief Product Officer and Co-Founder of the Swedish company, Dirac, the global leader in digital audio technology. Matthias has a Master of Science and a PhD in signal processing from Uppsala Universitet. And it was at Uppsala University 20 years ago that Dirac was founded by Matthias and fellow PhD students with a vision to revolutionize the way we hear sound. Sound and signal processing is at the heart of Dirac's journey. Today, the company delivers optimized sound for mobiles, VR, AR, automotives, residential and commercial environments. Matthias is deeply passionate about building great products and any advanced technology that can lead to a real change makes him tick. His current role is to define and plan new products. He and his team are making bad audio sound better with a software technology that can upgrade any sound system without expensive hardware upgrades. They're offering better, cleaner, and louder sound to many people. Direct is sound pioneer and a complete supplier of solutions for digital audio signal processing. In this episode, Matthias and I are going to discuss VR for our ears, dynamic 3D binaural audio, optimizing future sound systems to offer the ultimate sound experience. And I'm so excited that this episode is being binaural recorded. With that, Matthias, I welcome you and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Jasmine. I'm honored and really happy to be here on the show with you today and discussing what is a really interesting topic, which is 3D sound and binaural sound. Yes, and I'm so glad to be here, even if it's uh, social distancing. I took myself to Uppsala, my old hometown, so we could really create the real experience. So how are you doing in times like this? Oh, we're, we're doing fine, you know, crazy times, and, and, and I miss traveling, and I miss meeting my colleagues on a daily basis, but, you know, it's also interesting. You learn to adapt to this new way of working and communicating. And so there's, you know, for sure a lot of minuses, but also interesting learnings, definitely. And we're, we're doing fine as a company. We're lucky to be in a software business, so we don't need to be physically at, at various places. True, it's digital. And sitting here in our offices, I can read here, we are here to change the world of sound, is what's written. And I want to then know, looking back in the mirror, what was it in your inner motivational drive and the curiosity as a boy that brought you into the world of audio technology? Well, that, that's a good question. I, I think I've always been fascinated by, by sound and music. And, and, and even as a boy, I, <laughs> I, was, I was for a while, I was the youngest member of, uh, what do you call that? Well, it was Hövdes Ornithologiska Förening, so ornithologists, uh, you know, uh, watching birds and also listening to birds. And that was pretty fascinating how these different sounds, you know, uh, how they communicate and what they mean and how you can differentiate, you know, between, you, you cannot see the bird, but you can hear it and you know what it is. And, and that whole thing about audio is, is so fascinating because of it invokes so much so much emotions and it helps interpret the world but then you know I've always been curious about technology and so on and that's when I came to university and was studying all these mass and signal processing which you know was interesting in its own right but it was also a bit dull 
and I was musically interested and, and, and playing the guitar and so on. And when I could see the connection between audio and music experiences and this advanced math, that's what's really got me interested in this field, actually. Mm, very interesting. Yeah, bringing the creativity into that. What I love about Dirac is that it's grounded in scientific research and that your vision is to revolutionize the way we hear sound. And you want to change the world of sound by building technologies that help millions of people getting better sound experiences and thereby making the world slightly better place. So we want to know the story behind how everything started and why sound. So the story started at Uppsala University and um, I was studying uh, for my master thesis and I came across, uh, we had our last course in signal processing, it was called adaptive signal processing, and one of the professors that taught that course uh, was a big hi-fi enthusiast. And of course he, he was starting, this was in 1999, so way before any kind of digital revolution had happened really in, in audio. And he was intrigued by the idea of taking his groundbreaking digital signal processing research into the audio domain. He was using this, you know, for, uh, at that time, 3G, 4G radio systems with Ericsson and, and, or, or controlling robots and stuff. I was starting to think, like, how, how can I apply this to, to hi-fi, his big hobby? And, and me and a buddy came in and uh, asked him if he had any interesting master thesis project. And he was, yeah, I got something for you guys. Don't you want to optimize speakers, loudspeakers, and make them sound better with these cool adaptive signal processing techniques. And we were like, oh, that sounds fun. Yeah, for sure, let's do it. And then we did this, and we, we, we focused on really small, cheap computer speakers to begin with. We started measuring them with a microphone, sending out test signals to get you know, a frequency response and an impulse response, which is what characterizes the speaker to a large extent in a room. And we started playing around with what's called you know, inversion filters uh, to, to remove all this coloration from the speaker. And the difference it made in those early experiments was astonishing. It was huge. It was like night and day. And we were like, wow, we, we have to do something with this commercially. So it, it really started with those. It was a few other master thesis projects at the same time that got us thinking that there's something real here. We could take any cheap speaker and make it sound dramatically much better, you know? It was like, this is cool. We're going to outdrive a Dolby with this. So that was the whole start of it. And then we, we started a uh, company after having won a business plan contest. Six of us, two professors, the rest of us PhD students. And, and that was the start of it. And then, of course, we realized, you know, that we were a bit optimistic about uh, how, how fast the industry would adopt these ideas. Because we were like, you know, you could hear the improvement and, you know, you want to implement it right away. Yes, for sure. But the industry wasn't so keen on it. First of all, they were skeptical about digital because they came from a very different tradition. You know, the only thing that was digital in audio back then was a CD, essentially, right? So it was, uh, it was kind of a lot of missionary work in the beginning. And what was fun was that the first customer uh, that really understood this and adopted it immediately was BMW, the car maker. And, and you know, they had a problem. They, they were very forward-looking. They're a very pioneering company overall, right? So they wanted to bring this really high-end hi-fi experience 
to their cars, but there was no way they could do it because the car cabin is an extremely acoustically challenging space. Lots of early reflections, standing waves, speakers are located in the doors at your knees, maybe at the windshield, so it's just nasty. So how could they bring this great sounding experience to the car? It was impossible with analog means. And the existing sound suppliers to the car industry didn't really grasp the digital domain either. So we came in, we showed the guys at BMW what we could do with small hi-fi systems, and they were blown away, and, and then we started working with them. this conversation with you is that designing the perfect audio branding strategy is one important aspect but how the sound and music is being played in the audio systems is as equally important if not even more important as no matter how much money brands for example BMW, McDonald's etc are spending to find the perfect brand sound if the sound experience because of the sound system is bad, then the entire sound experience is destroyed and wasted. So what is the task of a speaker? And what would you say are the biggest problems when it comes to the speakers and the headphones and earbuds sold today? Yes. So speakers are really there for one reason. That's to reproduce as faithfully as possible the sound that somebody has created for your ears, so to speak. So the idea is that you just amplify the sound. It's like a perfect transparent lens to what the artist and the producer for the music has created or has intended for you. And the idea is to bring that to your ears. And then the challenge is, of course, that the speaker is a mechanical or an electroacoustical system. And same with a headphone. And it means when you consider the whole spectrum, the audible spectrum from 20 hertz to 20 kilohertz. Uh, that is a very challenging task, because the wavelengths used, you know, in, in, in the low frequency regions, you have 10 to 20 meters of wavelengths, whereas in the high end, you know, you have one or two centimeters. It's very challenging for a membrane of a speaker to actually reproduce all these different waves equally well. So you've got a lot of problems with the frequency reproduction, but also it's a, it's a mechanical system. It's essentially like a spring that moves the membrane of the speaker and of course it, it keeps moving also when you tell it to stop so to speak it, it's like a spring it cannot just you know critically go down into silence so it also means that all the transient sounds like these that go into the speaker get smeared out of it this is the time domain issues that are also quite important and thirdly we have nonlinear distortion which could be um, you know that the speaker breaks up essentially you cannot reproduce with a very small speaker, like a uh, speaker for a smartphone, the real bass, for example. So then you have to do tricks to, to come around and, and still create a bass impression, even though you cannot really reproduce it physically with it. And when you look at 
a real musical experience or a movie experience, there's a spatial element. It's not just the frequencies. It's also where are instruments located in the mix. That's a big part of our experience, actually. And, and how precise is that imaging, that location of each instrument or voice? And especially when you look at how music is mixed, it's really mixed for two speakers playback, typically. Not for headphones playback. Mm -hmm. So when you're listening to something like the Beatles, where they did all these strange experiments with stereo when that came around first. First, you know, we had mono sound only. Then they would put like Paul McCartney in one speaker and all the other guys and the guitars in the other speaker. And, and that works when you play back sound over speakers because I have a crossfeed from the left speaker. So I get Paul both in my left and my right ear. I hear his a little bit more to the left. But when you put on the headphones, there's no crossfeed. And all of a sudden, Paul is whispering in your ear. <laughs> it's really bizarre. And there you need to work then with ways to simulate the loudspeaker experience. So the stereo image is also a big part of this um, problem in, in sound reproduction. So but we've been fooled. We've been fooled all <laughs> along. It's a big conspiracy right so now. So the amazing music we've been listening to, it could be even... Yeah, it wow. could be better. And, and, what, and, and the interesting part is that our human auditory system is quite adaptive, so you're actually able to still enjoy the music, right? But it gets tiring, so you, you, you have this stress on the brain. So when you're listening to Beatles over headphones for a while, you get tired, actually. This is called listening fatigue. It's a scientific term, and it's very real. And if you correct all these deficiencies, then you can listen for longer times without getting tired. Less stress on your brain. Mm. I always say, don't listen feel the music and I mean I call about the concert effect for example I, I, I rarely get it through the headphones or, or, or listening it at home because I don't feel that bass feeling I mean I don't have a bass exactly. at home but it's also like the body needs to feel it and when I only put it on my ears I, as you yep. say it's just like after a while I just feel like nah I don't want it anymore because my body is not yep. interacting with it that's very true I mean a lot of the actual audio experience in, in reality, so to speak, is actually haptic. So it really is, you're not just listening with your ears. And that's, that's something that you miss out on. If you have a big bass speaker, you can reproduce some of that rumble, you know, still. But with the headphones, not really. So some, some companies are working on, you know, uh, as you probably know, uh, different types of haptics, actuators to, to help you. You can wear it like a, west, a vest, you know, and get this. Feeling. Or even the car, that they put stuff yes, in the car exactly. where you can actually feel it. But going back to what you said that uh, when you guys started that you took existing bad audio and then you turn it into better audio because you actually don't build hardware yourself. You're making bad audio sound better with the software in partnership with the hardware manufacturers. Yeah. So what is then that Derex products actually do and how does it work? So the first thing we do is that we, we always measure the speaker or the headphone acoustically. So we send out you know, frequency sweeps. So we check all the different frequencies. And then we measure in, in various microphone positions how this speaker or headphone reproduces the sound. So we get really an acoustical fingerprint. And when we have that, then we can create these kind of inverse filters and other means to correct for them. So it's very much like putting you know, glasses on for your, for your vision. But we're doing that, you know, tailor-made for a specific speaker. And then these digital filters are being inserted in the signal chain 
before the speaker. So you're actually pre-distorting the sound on its way to the speaker, and then the speaker distorts it back so that when it reaches your ears, it is as clean as possible. And that's, that's where we always start. But then depending on the specific application, you also need to do other things, because tiny speakers have these nonlinear problems, and they have lack of bass. And then you need to work with psychoacoustic virtual bass techniques. And you need to work on the nonlinear stuff, and you need to work on dynamic processing to make them sound as, pos as loud as possible. Because sometimes loudness is an issue in small speakers. And the other thing, the big thing now, I would say one of the big things now is also the three-dimensional aspect, the spatial aspect, in many ways, from stereo to multi-channel. And not least in headphones, where we just talked about, you know, uh, how, how Beatles and, and other music actually sounds quite distorted spatially in headphones. And there's a simple way to correct that uh, by by actually simulating a real speaker setup and a reference room. the golden age of audio, where 5G, VR, AR will be everywhere, making sound design uh, and becoming sound conscious more important than ever. I will say, yay, I can't wait. <laughs> However, 3D, uh, 3D is not a technology that is new, because it's been in 3D film, it's actually older than sound in film, as experiments with 3D technology goes as far back as the 19th century. I also read that the history of binaural recording goes back to 1881. And me, myself, I came across binaural sound just months ago when I heard Valentino Frequency audio advertising Vote Viva with Lady Gaga. First I thought it was something wrong with my Bose headphones, and then I thought, nah, it must be like a production error. But after talking to my friend, scientist Nicole Fledge at Sentence Decision Science, she said it might be uh, 3D binaural audio recording. So explain for us, what is 3D binaural audio? And teach us, how is it built and how does it work? So if we start with binaural sound, the term comes from the fact that we have two ears, binaural, and, and, and which in itself is pretty fascinating. We can still pick up locations all around us with just these two signals entering our brains. Um, so, in order to do a binaural recording, the idea is that you put, essentially, you could put microphones into your two ears, small microphones, and then you can record what you're hearing, and you play it back through headphones, and you will hear exactly the same impression as you had there. And then you get all this 3D, this spatial information, which you do not get when you do a regular stereo recording with an MS microphone. Uh, just a regular microphone that is, because then you're compressing all the three-dimensional information. You just have two channels, but you you don't have the 3D information. 
And the way we as people decode these two signals that we get at our ears when I'm out and about and listening is first of all, you know, just sort of a triangulation, these interoral delays, the delay between my left and right ears. When I listen to you, that's one way for me to, you know, detect where you are, also the different amplitudes, the different levels of the ears. But how do I detect the difference between front and back? Because there is no timing difference, no amplitude difference of my ear sound. Well, that's something we learn, actually, to adapt to. And, and the way we do it is by this, what we call scientifically head-related transfer functions. Those are describing effect of your head shape and your ears, how they actually change the frequencies as, you know, uh, they, they attenuate and they amplify certain frequencies depending on direction. So if a certain sound comes from the back, my ear is, you know, shaped in a certain way. So this, it will shadow some of the sound, whereas from the front, it will not. So certain frequencies are amplified when they're from front and vice versa from back. And that's what you're capturing also with a binaural recording, which the regular microphone does not capture. Mm. Mm. And then, of course, now it, it's a little bit uh, impractical to have these microphones in your own ears. <laughs> so therefore, uh, we use dummy heads, for example. And dummy heads are, are what they're, they're artificial heads, <laughs> created to be sort of, you know, some kind of <laughs> role model of, of, a, of a person, you know, a typical person. So not anything extreme, let's put it that way. Uh, so it should not sound color. Because the fact is that, of course, all people, we, we all have slightly different head-related transfer functions. And, but we're not that sensitive to the difference. The main difference is actually the, the distance between our two ears. Because that makes a difference, obviously, on you know, where we will locate a sound to the left and to the right. That's the primary difference. Then you have other small differences. And the role of a good dummy head is to make something that works quite well for everybody. But there are downsides to binaural recordings, which is that you are, if we've recorded in binaural and with a dummy head, and then I realize I really would like to change the mix spatially, how do I do that? Because I've measured and encoded everything already in 3D. I can't pick out a certain sound and move that. So that's one of the problems with binaural recordings, actually. And that's why other 3D sound formats have emerged as well. Very interesting. But I also stumbled across the word ambisonics. What is that and how is that different? Ambisonics is actually a really neat idea uh, that was developed back in the 60s, 70s. Um, it's an encoding. Uh, when we, you know, we, we just talked about the sort of the downside of binaural recordings. With an ambisonics recording, you don't have those down, downsides. Uh, and the idea is that, we, like we said, we, when we normally make a normal uh, stereo recording, we have something called MS stereo. So it picks up two, two uh, channels, you could say. Uh, and this is a generalization to also include the up and down direction. And all of a sudden, then you have captured the sphere. And it's a, it, it uses something called spherical harmonics. It's a mathematical way of breaking down a three-dimensional wave field at the specific point where you're then having your microphone. So the way it works is you have a, a four-channel microphone. 
arranged in a tetrahedral pattern, and we're using that also to record this in binaural right now. And, and then, based on that, you can actually, from these four signals you get out of that, you essentially get slices in space, up, down, left, right. Simplified a little bit, but it, it is actually like that. And it sums up uh, perfectly. So you have, you can combine these different and pan things. You can look into a different direction with that and, and create virtual uh, microphone patterns uh, as well and look in a certain direction or take the whole spherical sound. And, and that's what we call first order ambisonics. And there's also higher order ambisonics which add more channels and, and at least in theory better resolution than, but it's also hard to actually build those microphones because it is based on, like I said, a mathematical theory with its spherical harmonics and your real physical microphones need to exactly mimic those microphone patterns that are assumed by those spherical harmonics. But the essence is, you're getting a really neat four-channel representation which captures the whole 3D sound field around you, up, down, left, right, and then you can sort of zoom in on various parts of that, and you can, of course, complement it with head tracking, and you can easily translate it to, uh, to binaural output, actually, like we're doing here, and, and you can also decode it for specific speaker layouts, because that's the issue with binaural. When you're playing back a binaural recording, you have to have headphones or potentially a speaker that has something we call crosstalk cancellation that takes away the crosstalk that you have uh, from the left speaker to the right ear and vice versa. So binaural really assumes one person listening because it's really getting the signals at your ears. And this is the downside of that, whereas ambisonics represents the whole sound field in a way. So it's what we call a scene-based format. And it's very practical. It's also nice because it's an open format. It's not protected by patents and so on, so anybody can really use it. And it's being used by lots of companies and, and uh, starting to sort of catch up now because 3D sound is emerging much more than it used to. But that was what I was going to ask you, is that, is it the complexity of building it? Because now when you're talking about it, you're still saying that even in this era that it's challenging, as I've mentioned before, that 3D technology is nothing new. So give us examples on why 3D audio will become the next big, big thing and why is now the time for it? That's a, that's a, that's a good question. And there's, there's been lots of challenges, I would say. Uh, there's a number of reasons why why it's starting to really, you know, hit the, hit the big time now. Um, one is we're getting more bandwidth, <laughs> so it's easier to transmit more complex data. Uh, there's also um, there's also the access and the possibility to record content in 3D in, in relatively simple ways. That has become much better in recent years as well because it's been pretty tricky having to do these recordings with a dummy head which is quite costly but inconvenient and it's only working for headphones now we also have like ourselves we work with some smartphone manufacturers and do crosstalk cancellation for their speaker systems you can actually listen to binaural content from these uh, uh, small uh, smartphones for example and that's the other thing that there's more and more content that is sort of is a natural fit with 3D audio, like, you know, movies, games, and of course the game makers always want to add something to, to keep you immersed into the game, spend more t 
time and, and money on their games, right? And, and audio can be immersive in its real, you know, in the real meaning of that word. Word that you read. Captures it. you. Yeah, it captures you, and then you're stuck. Yes. <laughs> and that's one of the things. Then I'd say, you know, there's the VR and AR movement is a big thing as well. We're seeing, you know, more and more, not least AR applications, and and the thing when you think about audio versus visuals, the first VR experiences were, were completely visual in a sense. They didn't have the 3D audio. Nowadays, you're getting more of that. But it's kind of strange, because when you think about our eyes and ears, we are, you know, as, as sort of, if you look at it from an evolutionary standpoint, we're more like a, a predator animal. We're not a prey. We have our eyes fixed in the front, so we can focus on this prey and capture it, eat it. Whereas our ears are on the side, so our field of vision is actually not so broad, but ears, we hear everything around us, up, down. So the audio part of VR is actually, in my mind, more important than the visuals. But people haven't really realized that. I would say... Why? Why? Well, we are so still stuck in this visual mindset, you know, aren't we really? Yes, we are. <laughs> it's really time for just not just 3D audio, but audio in itself to be the next big thing in my mind. Because look at TVs and, and cameras and all that. Focus on the visual, you know, and, and we're increasing the resolution and so on beyond what we can see. Whereas audio is still not where it could be. There's so much left there, including 3D audio, but also just increasing the overall quality of the reproduction. Once you have experienced a really great sounding immersive sound system, you're blown away. Yeah, but we haven't, we haven't uh, experienced the real deal. That's the thing, right? We, we, we are still at point. Uh, one point yes, two. Exactly. <laughs> feels like that's very true, and and yeah. and that's about accessibility to those great sound experiences, of course. And there is more, you know, in the cinemas you have surround system. You're getting more and more, you know, uh, cinemas with with hate channels and so on, and more and more movies being mixed in 3D. And then you can experience this, and you see what you've been missing all along. And so I think it's also, you know, it's, it's a lot of different things happening at the same time that are having a big in combined impact, and also the industry itself looking for new features, simply, right? If you look at companies like Dolby, they of course need to new push a new sound format when their old patents go out, and, and I think this is, this is a, a good movement, right? Because the immersive aspect, especially when you look at the COVID situation, we can also see that, you know, I'm missing go to concert, and so on. If you could do that uh, virtually, and there's no reason why we can't. We could do that today. The technology is available. It needs to get implemented, though. But it's it's happening step by step now. That's fascinating. Yeah, I, I feel like the reason um, the industry hasn't really um, embraced audio is probably because we haven't experienced it on that kind of level. So in your words, explain for us what we as an audience can expect from a 3D binaural sound experience. How does it sound like? Besides that the listeners can experience it through this podcast episode, I love your example from your article, VR for your ears, dynamic 3D audio is coming. I think it's, it's really about being there at another location, traveling in space and time somehow. And, and, and for myself, I, in that example, I, I remember I wrote something about an NBA game because I'm a big basketball fan. And that's sort of my dream scenario. It's really expensive to get courtside tickets to the NBA finals 
you know, um, but why not have a, a sound field microphone and a 360 camera there, and then I can virtually be, you know, next to Jack Nicholson at his courtside seat uh, in Los Angeles and watch the Lakers win over the Celtics back in the 80s, I guess, not these days. Don't know who's the best ones now, but you know you can go in there and you can really feel there. It's it's really about being there. It's the whole ambience. It's not so much pinpointing a specific sound at a specific location. It's about feeling, like you talked about before, feeling like you're really at a different place. And and if you think about that, you might have a TV even, like I said before, that has sort of just the visual part of it when you're looking through a window but you still have a full 3D audio experience. In my mind, I think that's more important than having the 360 video. I want the 360 audio because that really has much bigger impact. Like I said, I will still, when I watch something, a game, if I'm there, I will be focused on a very narrow field of view anyway. So that's one of the examples. And then the other, that's one of my favorites, is to be at a really small, intimate concert with somebody. And the way I envision this going to happen is like, you know, take as an example, like Elton John has a concert at some place, you know, some hotel bar or something, you know, with an acoustical piano just singing there. And you have a few real people there as well. You have all this stuff going on and you have your, you know, microphone set up there. My God, it would be amazing, right? To be listening to that, have a head tracking and really be there, hear him as he is in reality you know that's something you cannot experience on a record mm -hmm. and not on a real big concert either it's only in this small intimate ses uh, setting where you get that truly like intimate feeling right mm -hmm. so there's amazing opportunities in my mind with 3d audio mm. and besides audio advertising then in vr ar where else can we experience 3d sound today and how common is it at this stage today so it's a good question how common it really is because you know, I've heard, and this is sort of unofficial, but at least in some countries, there's actually more binaural content being downloaded or consumed than high-res audio. And I think it makes sense, because to be quite fair, high-res audio maybe doesn't bring so much of an added experience from regular CD quality, uh, whereas, whereas spatial does that. But I'm not... I don't have sort of official statistics on that, but we're seeing more and more of just the binaural content. Even on YouTube, you can find clips and so on. Some of them are very gimmicky, on the other hand, but it's just at least nice to hear it. BBC have done some uh, binaural recordings of the proms, really nice, and, and so on. But you're getting to see more and more also games, right? Computer games, of course, with 3D audio in various formats. And, and also a little bit of movies. In the cinemas you have, you know, the 3D sound, Dolby Atmos and so on. So there's more and more content coming, uh, but it's still a little unclear which, you know, content types and formats will sort of be the, the, the big ones. But we can see also in the mobile area, talking to mobile manufacturers, that they are truly looking into enabling 3D audio on their devices. And we have seen Apple, you know, to have have spatial audio with their AirPods Pro uh, running on their smartphone. So that's another step in that direction, that we can more and more experience movies and other content in 3D. Even music, to some extent, is being um, coded into 3D now. Whether that will really catch on, I'm a little bit more, you know, maybe skeptical about. We'll see. It's been tried before. It's not really caught on for the general public. 
but certainly in all these VR, AR, and games and movies, for sure. One of my favorites, actually, when, when I grew up, I loved listening to, to stories on a cassette. So Astrid Lindgren, for example. And I think story, storytelling and audiobooks uh, really can bring you, like, you are a part of that story. You're, like, listening next to them. And I think that could really advance it. I've listened a little bit when you hear, like, the mouse is to the left, and yeah, the you know exactly. the bird is a little bit you know northwest or north. <laughs> I think that is one experience. I'll let you talk about it. But the second one is, would it be possible to bring it in also like the experience in stores and restaurants? Could that have benefits? Because I always go like gamifying the stores. Yep, yep. Then not always have you know the speakers like to the left to the right and and maybe down, but somehow played around. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah, in your first example, I think that I completely agree. I think this kind of storytelling, ebooks and sort of radio plays and stuff can just benefit tremendously from the spatial aspect. Again, just brings you there, becomes so much more realistic. Completely agree with it. And I'm surprised that it's not more out there already because this is quite easily done today. Um, and then with the second example, there's so much unexplored, right, in that scene. There, probably what you will do is not so much the, the actual binaural audio, because you, you, you will have to design for many people there. So, but with many speakers, though, and, and, and using the spatial aspect of sound, and not just sort of thinking about it as a one-dimensional thing, because it isn't. We have these three-dimensional uh, senses in, in hearing, uh, particularly, and we should utilize that. So if you have several speakers in, in your store, you can really create a movement of the sound and even take people to certain Not locations. Right? Exactly. Mm. And you have these more sort of like information kills, not so fun ex example, but in a sense, like if I'm at some department store and looking at this information kiosk, asking for information about where something is, if you have a small speaker array and, and also this crosstalk cancellation technology, you can get also the sound to, to say, okay, it's over there, really in the right direction of you. So there's a lot to be explored there. I think it's like really an open field for imaginative people and a lot of creative ideas that should be explored there. That's so cool. But can, for example, audiobook companies and already recorded content be translated or transformed into binaural, or does it always have to be recorded in binaural from start? That's a good question. You need if you have a sort of a stereo recording or a recording where you have several different sounds being recorded into one track, then it's hard to, to take away that and, and bring the 3D sound. But if you have each of the sources recorded separately, then you can artificially mix them. There are, there are a lot of uh, actually plugins for digital audio workstations where you can do spatial uh, sort of spatial rendering by adding this head-related transfer function to a specific object and rendering it in a certain space. But of course, the most sort of vivid experience you will get is if you can actually record the whole scene binaurally or with amphitonics. That's true. There's so many uh, opportunities in this area, but there, there are also limitations, and you mentioned it before in a technical, but what are the limitations around being recording, like the engineering challenges remaining to fulfill the promise of a 3D audio experience. Yeah, that's true. I mean, for binaural recordings and binaural sound to work really well for, for everyone, there are challenges. One thing is, if you just do a binaural recording, um, 
and and you compare and listen to that and compare to how you listen in reality. One of the things that is missing is your head movement in that uh, in that space where you're in. So head tracking is something that we're seeing more and more being adopted, and that helps a lot because that's how we can pinpoint with our two ears and all these remarkable, you know. HRTF processing that our brains are doing, it is still hard to say exactly how far away is something when I'm in a, a space if I'm completely still. What, what I'm doing unconsciously is I'm always moving a little bit, and that's how I triangulate and really capture this whole 3D sound field here. You're missing that when you're doing a binaural recording. So head tracking is a technique which is now quite well developed. And it's, it just needs to roll out, so to speak. And, and head tracking can be done by having uh, really a, a little you know, accelerometer on your head, on your headphone. Or it can also just use a camera, a web camera. Uh, for example, if you're watching, uh, you know, working from in front of a PC, the, the web camera can track your ears. And then you can, in real time, adjust the, the output if you have an ambisonics um, recording. And then you can adjust it so that you actually bring about the more natural sounding uh, 3D sounds. But it's also this thing that we are different anatomically, so we have slightly different head-related transfer functions. It works a little bit, uh, it doesn't work equally well for everyone, that's for sure. And there's still stuff to be done. There's a phase of perfection going on in the industry now, improving this. There's attempts to do individualized uh, processing, and there are other ways of looking at more generic solutions that work for more people and making sure to capture sort of the, the stuff that works for everyone and not do more processing. So one of the things we've looked into is exactly how, how you can do that and make it work better for more people without coloration. That's the other thing. In, in when you listen to a 3D recording casually, you might say, okay, that sounds cool. But then for some of those early recordings at least were so-so in quality as well. So there are still several things just need to sort of perfect the overall experience. So you would say that the head tracking is what will change forever the way we're listening to sound. So once we experience that, yeah. we, we just, yeah. Head tracking is extremely powerful, actually. That really is... Is, uh, is it used today? You, you, used you mentioned today. before something about like smartphones will start working. Yeah, more. so Apple is using uh, head tracking for their, uh, in their iPhone, if you couple that with the um, AirPods Pro, then they have a sensor on the uh, on the earbuds, and then also the screen. And you have a sensor on that, and and then you're doing the processing actually to track your head and and, and and adjust the sound according. So you feel like you're watching a movie and getting a surround sound or three D sound experience actually. So this is coming more and more, and we're seeing gaming headsets adopting uh, head tracking. So this is about to happen right now. It is happening. And you know, when, when Apple does something, others tend to follow, right? So this is a good development because it really does help a lot. And when you're talking, well, well, the only thing that I'm feeling and thinking is like it's going to be audio porn <laughs> on <over> the streets. <laughs> People are just going to walk around in this like happy bubble. <laughs> well, we'll see, you know. I, <laughs> that's an interesting. I mean, I guess that's what, what people said about VR. <laughs> <laughs> as well, maybe well, the more part. The, the, the problem with VR I found is I get dizzy yeah. very quickly, which right. I, I mean, it's the same as I would spin around here, I'll get dizzy, but your ears would never 
yeah. have a problem like that. Exactly. And head tracking, if done right, will not make you any dizzy at all. That's the good thing. With, with vicious, I think it's it's you're more sensitive to that because you you're also feeling other stuff with your body and it doesn't match entirely, so it becomes weird. With audio, it's it's, it's a different thing. <laughs> about using binaural sound in virtual uh, like uh, live experiences and global artists have not been able to perform in-person concerts because of the pandemic. I love your Christmas statement. Recorded music has the ability to transcend time and space and bring joy and pleasure. Tell us about your prediction about binaural head tracking during virtual live experiences. I think that that's something that can really make a difference. Uh, and, and, and cause widespread adoption. And, and I'm looking for the first kind of you know, virtual concert app or company that really does this well because there's so much potential there. Again, you know, Envision being, you know, recording this live concert with, with a really good artist in a small intimate setting and, and you were there at the scene. Uh, again, you know, I think it's for the most for most people, to put on a VR headset is a little bit foreign. I think to have the audio experience like that and just a regular screen, again, which is your limited field of view, that's a different thing, and it comes alive completely. We 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 also had we, we've done experiments like that, and also in a in a meeting set, setting. If I'm calling into a real physical meeting with an ambisonic microphone and having head tracking on. It's, you know, and with just a regular little laptop for the screen, for the visuals, it's scary. You know, it's like, you know, you're really literally there. So that's like telepresence, you call it. Telepresence, exactly. Which is a, another really intriguing application. And, and I think that's where, you know, you're going to see a lot of professional application where you can do remote work. And, and both visually and, and audio then truly be there. But as, as we have learned, already at, in, during these times with COVID and so on, of course, to have a more lifelike,
conferencing setup where you can really feel like you're surrounded by the people in the room rather than having them speak, you know, like today, all messed up, it's hard to know who's speaking, and, and you have some visual representation of people being at various locations, but the audio is still all in my head if I'm using my, my headphones or in the speaker there. You know, imagine that with spatial audio, and, and you know, it's a very different, much more relaxing experience. You know, the world health would go up if we had more spatial audio, right? It's truly, it's like that, actually. But, but how does it work then, if, if I just get it in the sense, so it's like a teleconference. So if I want to have one of those, then I have to buy a brand and hardware that has your software that you work with, or can I, as a consumer, add it? No, that's right. That's probably why it's not, uh, why, or why it has taken so much time to be adopted, because it, it needs to be integrated into the actual conferencing service. And, and we're actually talking to conferencing services for that very reason. <laughs> and then you can then you can literally use it with any headphone. And if you couple it with camera-based head tracking for your PC, then you have the head tracking as well. And, and you know then you know virtual afterworks and so on would be a lot nicer. Then you can really have small conversations with some other people. And it's because right now when you're in this virtual meeting, it's very hard when somebody starts talking. All the others need to go quiet. Whereas in a real setting we can be several people talking at the same time i can have small conversations at the side i'll still hear sort of everything that goes on and and that's and, but i won't be disturbed by it and that's because we have these spatial hearing whereas in the virtual setting without the spatial cues present it becomes impossible as soon as two people start talking at the same time it's like who's, uh, who's saying and then they both go quiet and then they both start talking again it's just a mess so yeah i think th this is a, a good use case. And I think you guys should do this as a standard because once the consumers start using it, that's it. They don't want anything else, which exactly. should be like a standard that in all hardware, yeah. you can't go back. That's the thing with what we've experienced is I think in general it's like that, you know, with great audio, once you've experienced the next level of audio, you don't want to go back. You didn't realize before that I'm missing something, but when you hear how it once you experience yeah. it, you, you like, keep wanting that wow. experience. Yeah, you don't want to go back. Then. Can you then share with us a few examples on 3D sound use cases that are starting to gain momentum? Well, clearly gaming and, and movies, that's for sure. Uh, more and more uh, 3D use cases there. Um, and, and of course VR, AR, not so much yet, but it's coming, clearly. It is coming. It's, that's just a matter of time. There's also something that has that is being pushed right now, and that is 3D music, and and I'm not sure whether it's catching on. There's been tries with surround sound for music, like what was that 10, 15 years ago, and it never really caught on. And I think the reason is that it also is a quite complex mixing process, and and also the availability to actually listen to it. Stereo content is quite rich when it comes to music. Actually, when you go to a, a concert. What you're hearing is still like mostly frontal sound. The rest is more like ambience. Mm -hmm. And with, as with all new formats, there's a tendency to exaggerate. We saw that even with the Beatles, for example, with stereo. And, and now we're seeing it, I think, again, with like 3D music. You know, Sony and Dolby are having 3D music formats. But what we're hearing from, from users to date is at least they're not really impressed because it's more like it feels a little bit gimmicky. It sounds weird, a lot of people think. But it could 
catch on still. I mean, if done right, it has some potential when, when you actually do it in sort of a tasteful way and actually use the surround and the heights in, in a meaningful way to create ambience and the feeling of being there rather than put the guitars above you and, and the bass below you or whatever, you know, that becomes just weird. But I think right now what we're seeing is for sure gaming, all kinds of gaming experiences. Then there's other actually use cases in cars, which is more in the safety systems and driver alerts and actually getting, uh, you know, directional alerts. So there's, you know, in Sweden we have these elks walking around and the cars are starting to detect them, fortunately. And, and then, you know, the, the driver can be alerted and have the sound come from the right direction. It's not like really that three-dimensional, the height direction is not so important, but at least directional sound. That's being put into more cars for sure. So there are a few different examples of, of, of use cases there as well. And when we were talking about like hardware and the technology side of it, what I'm interested to know now if we flip it around is in terms of understanding the ultimate audio experience in audio branding. At least like there's so many brands that are now working on designing uh, audio experiences. But then also they need to understand then how to produce it to fit in the hardware. So what are your predictions and advice on how brands can start thinking on using binaural sound in their audio design process and then in their audio asset touch points? I think, like we talked about before also, it's this sense of movement, this spatial aspect that has been for and you can really do a lot with that. It's, it's a different dimension to your communication of your brand. So instead of just think about like, does it sound right? Also think about, you know, the movement aspect. You, you might not want to create possibly a, a completely binaural thing that's just like a lot of 3D sound. Well, you could, but, but I'm thinking also there are subtle things where you have a some kind of sound asset and you have certain elements of that you know, being put into motion, and that can create pretty interesting effects that I think you can, you know, get very strong associations with. Like, if you think about the, the Nike swoosh, right, and that thing, that has some kind of movement in it. If you will also do that spatially, then, talk about reinforcement, right? So I think just with tiny examples like that. And, and again, it's not so complicated. There are lots of plugins available for music production software that can do this kind of panning of sounds in 3D relatively, I think, good enough for this purpose to create that sense of movement. That can be pretty powerful. Yeah, get the consumer to move with the visual, uh, get the consumer to nudge them towards something. Exactly, exactly. Uh. <laughs> this is where you should go, and then you have this movement of the sound in that direction. And then also the creation of storytelling becomes enormously stronger. Yes. Wow. You, you, you're, you're in a way, I think, uh, you know, engaging with more senses in, in, in our brains, right? By adding this movement to it. And then it becomes more powerful, and more reinforcing. And the perfect thing with this is that it needs to be done from the beginning and nothing like yep. it's been going on for so many years that it's added in the end. You really have to think about it in the storytelling, in the design strategy process, in the beginning of what is it you want the, the communication and the message yeah. to, to be. Yeah, I love that. If that could mm -hmm. <laughs> also change it. What does the future of 3D binary audio sound like? How big will it become and when? 
you know, you're asking the wrong guy. I started this together with colleagues, this company, 20 years too early, because we thought the digital audio was, you know, coming along. Um, so I, I <laughs> it's hard to make a prediction when and how big, but I think it is so many forces right now in, in action. So I'm, I'm quite confident. I think as always, when something really changes, it's about a really strong use case, user experience. <clears throat> and there I see, you know, for example, these telepresence for, for conferencing and virtual meetings being a big thing, potentially. And the other big thing is truly well-designed virtual concerts I think can have huge impact. And maybe something more mundane like regular games with head tracking. And, and you start getting used to it, and then you come to expect it. So I think it, it's a matter of time. And again, there I'm probably over-optimistic, because I think it could happen quite fast now, because all of the technologies are sort of available now to do it. Uh, but, but typically it takes more time than I think. <laughs> so my prediction would then be, as soon as you get it out to the consumers, get them to experience it, that is when it's going to boom. So it's not the technology, everything is there. Start getting people to use it and want it and becoming a standard. That's the thing. You need to be where people are so that they experience it, then they want it. That's, that's exactly right. Completely agree. But then what is beyond 3D sound? Let us say another 50, 100 years. I mean, I've read online, AD, 10D. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that, that sounds interesting. I think... You know, I'm 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 am a scientist at heart, so I think beyond 3D in, in terms of physical space is hard to imagine. But I think I think that if we look at 50, 100 years, it's probably neural audio. Why should we have you know speakers and headphones? Why don't we just go directly connect to your brains electrically? And, and there's already experiments being done in that area. Oh Lord! <laughs> you know, why go you know with these acoustic things? If you could go directly into your brain, so so that's you know my. Prediction. I just hear brainwashing, brainwashing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not saying that. That could, that could be an unfortunate future, maybe. Uh, let's not hope for that. But I think that's that's gonna come, you know, at, at some point. And what further future research needs to be done in this area? So we touched upon a few things. It's it's still about also perfection. So. You know, we, we're always like, we're perfectionists at Dirac, and, and, and we think there's still a lot of improvements to be done. A, a lot, not all, but a lot of 3D audio today is a bit gimmicky. That, and, and that's something to, I think the industry needs to be careful not to do too much of gimmicky stuff that people actually get tired of and say like, yeah, but that's not fun, that's just a gimmick, and I'm getting annoyed by it. There are those examples. So there's, there's a maturization that's needed also in how we produce content for it. But we need to experiment with it. You know, stereo caught on, even though Paul McCartney and the guys did some weird experiments. So, so I shouldn't say that maybe. Um, but then it's also like we talked about right now. In order to hear 3D audio, you're essentially limited to headphones or big speaker installations. But how many people can have you know 15 speakers installed at home? It's not very convenient. And if you could, what would the neighbors say yeah, now exactly. when they work from home? <laughs> yeah, that's that's not going to be very popular. Uh, and, and, but one of the enablers might be cars, because that's where you also have multiple speakers. So I think that's a great venue to experiment with. But, but we need also to, and, and this is not so much re research maybe, but more of commercialization, also of, of enabling like laptops and, and other small form factors like mobile phones with speaker systems that enable 3D audio in a good way. And this is happening. This is 
we're already doing stuff like that with like companies like Asus and, and others. So yeah, what is what is next for Direct? Oh, so many things. You know, I don't want to tip off our competitors, but uh, but we're 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 always striving to you know create superior sound experience and for more people. That's the other big part about us is like we, we really want to democratize great sound. So it's about what you talked about, access, you know, and how do we get this technology out to as many people as possible? And that's to be honest, that's you know, of course a lot of commercial work that you need to be where the, the mass mass people are. But then there are other interesting areas technolo technology wise, you know, how do you you know work with multiple speakers to create all these exciting 3D sound fields. We have Lots of work already down there, but we're looking into the next generation of that and, and other other cool stuff. I can't wait to get audio porn to the pub. <laughs> to the masses. <laughs> Thank you very much. I mean, this has been amazing. I've been like jumping here out of joy. I can't wait for this to happen. Such a pleasure. Thanks, Jasmine. It was really a pleasure to be on the show. It's fun to talk about, you know, the, these applications and hopefully people start using 3D audio create, creatively. There's so much opportunity. So all you creative guys out there listening, go out and do some damage. With they will. I'll be the ev evangelist for that. <laughs> I promise you. <laughs> Thank Good. you very much. Thanks a lot, Jasmine. Well, that's all for today's episode of The Power of Audio, Science and AI. I'm Jasmine Moradi, your host, and thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and support by sharing this content on your social media. This episode is supported by Stockholm Music City.